So before this guy in the back gets away, I need to say thank you to Mr. Brian Pearson for being here today on very short notice. I don't think an instrument has ever been created that you can't play and play well. And, and, you know, he was my high school band, a very patient high school band teacher and jazz band teacher, but that's not what makes him famous. He's Brady's dad, which is what makes him famous. So thank you for being here today. So uh, those of you who, who uh, know me know I'm a William Shakespeare fan. And I told people at the first service, I, I had this message all worked out, and I saw what the temperature was going to be in 15 minutes, came right off the top. So you get the short version. You're not going to get the full version this morning. Uh, you know, I'm a William Shakespeare fan, and, and, and William Shakespeare very famously uh, wrote the words, all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. And one man in his time plays many parts. If he's correct, and I think that he was, then we all live our lives on this stage. And as Christians, especially as Christians, the world is watching. You know, you're aware of it because you're aware of the things that you do that people see and how does it look and how does it appear and what are they going to think. And I think that he gave words so well and so simply to all the world is a stage and we're all players on it. And every one of us has our own unique stage and we're being watched By the people around us, just like he said, as Christians, you're very well aware of that. It's almost like our drama is, or our life is a drama for everybody to see. And and, and here's the thing. If people know that you're a Christian, if they know that you're a believer, they're looking to you in your life one of two ways. Either looking at you saying, I don't know that I'm ready to be a Christian. I'm not sure what that means. And so I'm going to watch you and I'm going to get an idea of what God expects of me. And they shape their idea of what it is to be a Christian around what they see in the life of someone who says that they're a believer. But then there's another group of people out there, and they're the ones who just simply are looking for you to goof up. They're looking for you to sin. They're looking for you to do something that they can throw at you and say, see, you don't really believe at all. The fact of the matter is, though, I think that Shakespeare is right. We very much live our lives with people watching us. And Jesus, in this passage, and we're going to be in chapter 6 of Matthew, starting in the first verse today, Jesus presents this part of his Sermon on the Mount very much like a drama. It's easy to watch it and to get an idea of, of him almost running. He didn't have a movie back then, of course, but it was almost like he was trying to get these people to understand what was going on as though there was a movie or a drama happening. Now, remember, there was his disciples, right? He went away with his disciples, and the first thing that they did together was he gave them what we now know as the Beatitudes. And basically it was saying, your life is going to get tough from here on out. People might not appreciate you, but you know what? If you remain faithful, you're blessed when. You're, you're, you're fully satisfied when. And it, it's contrary to our ears because it isn't the way that we understand the world. And then he goes on and he begins the Sermon on the Mount because what happened was there was this group of people because he was a relatively local boy and uh, he was doing miracles. And so 
Wherever he went, people went to see what the miracles were. And so this crowd starts gathering, the Bible says. And there's this transition that happens in the Sermon on the Mount. And we say this every week because it's important that we don't forget this. He's talking to his disciples, but there's this whole group of people, the crowd that's listening. And as followers of Jesus, we're called to be the disciples, but we live in the crowd. And so we kind of are a little bit of both, but we need to make sure that we don't ever stray from being the disciples. See, the crowd is there because they want to see the miracles. They want to see what it is that he's going to do next. But Jesus isn't doing miracles today. Jesus is preaching. And instead of amazing them as a miracle worker, what he does is he ends up speaking in a way that absolutely stuns them. It is so shocking to what they're used to. He gets straight to the condition of the human heart. And as we work through these four verses, and there's only four of them we're going to talk about, Think about that Shakespeare's idea that we all live our life on a stage as though somebody is watching. And listen to what Jesus says and how much that translates to the idea of being watched by the people around us, that the things that we do maybe are more for the folks around us than even for God. So if you've got your Bibles, chapter 6, verse 1, the Gospel of Matthew. What Jesus has been doing so well is he takes Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments, because all of this crowd, as well as his disciples, they're folks that were very familiar with the Ten Commandments. They knew them. Uh, the Pharisees, the, the, the teachers of the law, the lawyers of the day, had made it very clear. They, they took great pride in their keeping the law so faithfully. See, they would exert control and, and, and they would maintain power over the Jewish faithful with the laws. And so Jesus is, is talking about the law, but he's saying the law isn't really the point. Relationship is the point. Relationship with each other and relationship with God is the point. And, and so Jesus has no problem making fun and, and giving a hard time to the Pharisees. And, and so today, 2,000 years later, you don't want to be a Pharisee. You don't want to be a Christian that's more like a Pharisee than a disciple. See, Jesus doesn't hide his disgust in the way that he sees the Pharisees. He doesn't hide his disgust in the way that they live their lives and practice their faith. So Jesus starts out in verse 6, chapter 1 here. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Think about being in front of an audience. Think about living your life. And what is your motivation for doing the things that you do? What is your motivation for doing the good things and the not so good things? Is your motivation purely because you know that God is watching and you want to be pleasing to your father who is in heaven? Or is your motivation that you know the world is watching and you want them to say you're a good person? What's your motivation? Beware, he says, of practicing your righteousness before other people to be seen by them. For you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. So do you do righteousness because it's right? Or do you do righteousness for people to see you? How do you do those things? Why do you do those things? Is it something you have to think about and consider and make a plan for the time and the place? Or is it something that just flows out of you naturally? It's a part of your character. It's, it's a part of your heart. Acts of righteousness. Doing good things for people. Giving to them when they're in need. Is it just a part of who you are and how you live? Maybe it's important to ask yourself, Is it important for you that other people know so that you tell them about the good things you did? If you do truly a kind act to someone, you pay something ahead of the grocery store or a restaurant or or you help someone with something, do you need to go tell someone to let them know you did something good so you earn some points on earth? Or is it enough to know that God knows and that you've done something right and you feel good about that? That's why Jesus says beware. So 
Acts of righteousness, what are they? Well, they'd be the things that we do for no other reason than to be kind and helpful. We don't do them because there's a scorecard. We don't do them because we're hoping to win points. It's serving others, not hoping to gain from our efforts, but rather only looking to give with our efforts. It's giving to people without expecting anything in return. It's giving to people who have nothing to give you. Acts of righteousness, and we don't really talk about them that way in our world, but we certainly understand them. The idea of giving to people without expecting anything in return, giving to people who have nothing in return to give. That's the kind of thing Jesus is talking about. So in in Jesus' day, the way the crowd would have heard it isn't entirely different than our world today. It would be either giving money or or, uh, food to the poorest of the poor who lived on the street because they were everywhere. It, It isn't unlike in large cities in America. And so now remember, for the Jewish person in Jesus' day, this was an important thing. This was a major part of their religion. Acts of righteousness and doing good was almost all that they had because their understanding was their place before God depended on their righteousness. See, Jesus was alive, and there he is. He's teaching. He's preaching this sermon. But they were under the old covenant. They were still under the, the, the law that said there was sacrifice and atonement that needed to be made for their sin. So there was really pressure on them to be good so that God would recognize and reward them. And the hope was that if they were good enough, that God would love them, he'd recognize them, and they would be saved by their good deeds. We are blessed that we understand that because Jesus died for our sins and raised from the grave for the forgiveness of our sins, the good things that we do, we do simply because of what God has done for us, not to try to earn God's favor. In fact, doing good things as a way of earning your way to heaven isn't going to work. You're not going to get anywhere close just on good deeds. So in his sermon, Jesus starts out, and the first word of this passage is beware. It seems odd to start a section on, on talking about righteousness and helping the needy with the word beware. It's a caution. It's a warning. And what he's saying is false religion is doing good for others for the sake of being noticed. False religion, the stuff that God is not the least bit interested, religiousness is righteousness that's done only to be noticed. How many times have you watched other people who are on the stage that is their life do something only to call attention to it and to be noticed by other people. Or, or talk about the great thing that they did for someone else. Or, or one of my favorites, put it on Facebook. You know, the humble brag that we've all read on Facebook. See, here's the thing. What Jesus is talking about is true righteousness. Because the, the truly righteous, those are the ones who live and do good. Not to impress other people, but out of their love for God and their love for people. They don't talk about themselves. They don't announce what they've done. And the fact is that they're unknown by their actions because their actions are known only by God. That's what Jesus is talking about. The way that we know them is by the true humility that is in their hearts. And, and, you know, maybe you're one of these people or maybe you know someone of these people. There are some folks that are just different. Their hearts are so humble. Their hearts are so pure. They're just so true that you know they must be doing good stuff all over the place that would make the rest of us look like we don't even get out of bed in the morning. But they never talk about it. That's the righteous that Jesus is talking about. It's not that doing righteous acts in front of other people is wrong. Because sometimes to do good and to help the needy and to help others, we do it in front of people. It isn't that to do that it's wrong. It's only wrong when we do things that look righteous only to be seen. 
So, so understand if there's someone who is in public who is needy, uh, food, clothing, homeless, need shelter, whatever it is, don't avoid them. Don't hear me say to avoid them because you don't want to be seen. No, 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 no. What's your reason? What is the reason that you help them? Do you do it to be seen? Or is the fact that you're seen just secondary to the fact that your heart is pure and you want to help? See, it's so easy to get caught in this righteousness trap of trying to impress other people with what we've done, with with how good we are. But what Jesus says, and here's the warning, the beware. He says that when we're noticed, when we're recognized, is when someone sees what we might do, that tidbit or or that scrap or that crumb of recognition is all that we're going to get. That person that recognized it was probably just, hey, good for you, that was really awesome. That is the extent of your reward. It's the only reward you're ever going to get. And, and our best deed, maybe the very best thing we'll ever do in our life, is never going to be rewarded by God because Jesus says you've already been rewarded because you were trying to impress people on earth. So Jesus is trying to get out of our condition. He's speaking to this crowd, saying, you know, it isn't just keeping the law. It's the reason that you keep the law. What is the reason that you do good? Do you do good because it's what God asks of you and you're doing it for God? Or do you good, do good to try to impress other people? Now, now, Jesus is speaking to the disciples, but the crowd is hearing it, and it's a completely different thing than what they're used to. And what he's going to do is he's going to call out the Pharisees. And here's the thing. The Pharisees made a great show of their acts of goodness, their, their good deeds, their righteousness. In fact, they were a pretty corrupt bunch. They taught the law, and they used it to hold it over people's heads. They came up with so many laws that there's nobody that could keep it. But they would go about town, and they would make all kinds of noise, and they'd dress up like crazy so that people saw them doing, we put it in air quotes today, good deeds. Jesus is about to call them out. Remember, Jesus is the standard for how we should conduct ourselves. So in verse 2, thus he says, when, get that word, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites, that's the Pharisees he's talking about, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue. Now, you talk about a man playing many parts. That is a part he did not want to play. That was awesome. All right, let's get back there. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they might be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. 
It sounds ridiculous to us when we read the Bible. And there's so many parts of the Bible that we read and go, hey, what does that have to do with my life? But when you understand, that's what Jesus was talking about. That right there. Because what the Pharisees literally would do is they would leave the, the safety of their big places that they lived. And they'd put on all of their finest clothes. And they would send trumpets out of the street. Literally, that's why Jesus talks about it. He's going to mention it again next week. They send trumpets to announce the arrival of the Pharisees. But here's what they do. They go out in the street and they've got these, these few little coins pennies is what we would call them probably and they'd go out and and all of them came from the people in the street who who gave it when they went to the temple and and they would give them back to a few of the poor and the needy and they'd have all this big celebration that's what jesus is talking about and so when we understand the context why context is so important suddenly it isn't so ridiculous but also it's completely ridiculous they'd make this big show of tossing a few coins to the poor people living in the streets and yet, you know, their heart wasn't for those people at all. The reason that they were out there doing the righteousness was so that they could enforce and, and, and increase the amount of respect and fear that the people had for them. One of the things that I, I truly love, besides moments like that, that I truly love about the team of people that lead this church, and, and by that I mean the staff and the elders and the volunteer ministry leaders and, and, and the people in ministries, those people worked tirelessly for the last four months. They've worked tirelessly without a single parade, without seeking or asking for or even respect, expecting recognition for their efforts. There's no such thing as a celebrity servant in the kingdom of God. There, there just isn't. They tried to become one. The Pharisees tried to become the celebrity servant, but they weren't. We try to create celebrities in the Christian church, but, you know, as far as Jesus is concerned, there aren't. And I love being a part of a church. I feel so blessed to be a part of a church that is filled with people from the upper level of leadership to those of you who come and sit in the chairs and watch us online who truly love Jesus, who love people, and want to teach people to love Jesus. That is becoming such an unusual and a rare thing in our world that that we don't exist to impress people. We exist to introduce people to Jesus. And and I truly believe and, and. This is not something that I say lightly. I truly believe that if Jesus has come back, because this has been the example that I've always used in 20 years. I always talk to our staff. I talk to people. If Jesus came back to our church on a Sunday morning, would he recognize it as being full of his disciples? Would he recognize it as a place that he says, yeah, that's part of my bride? I truly believe that if Jesus came back and and he got to see you and and our staff and our elders and our volunteers, I think that he he would have those wonderful words that, You know, your father in heaven recognizes you and and he's pleased and your reward is going to be great because that's why we do things that we do as Christians, not because of whatever recognition we get in the world, but because of the difference that we're able to make in people's lives for Jesus. He goes on and he says in verse three, when you give to the needy, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father uh, who sees in secret will reward you when not if. It isn't a question for Jesus. As a disciple of his, we are called to help those who are needy. What does needy mean? It can mean a whole lot of things. Needy might be someone who doesn't have clothing. It means maybe it means someone who doesn't have food, who doesn't have shelter. Maybe it's someone who's poor in spirit. Maybe who's someone who's going through a terribly difficult time. Maybe needy is someone who feels like they have no friends. Needy means a lot of things. There's a reason that Jesus just used the word needy. Because you know what? We don't get to define what needy is. You've gone through times in your life when you had everything around you, had people and you had money and you had more than enough and you still felt needy. Jesus says, when, when 
You give to the needy, whatever that might be. It might be just a phone call. It might be a text message. It might be, let's have a cup of coffee, or it might be money or housing. He says, when, not if. It's a gospel call. It's an expectation of who we are. That those of us who have more, and folks, we're the ones that have more. Those of us who have more are called to share and provide and speak out on behalf of those who have less. We don't really get to decide who they are. But if there's someone who has need, we're called to respond. That's got wide implications for the stage that we all live our life on. It has wide implications for our church. We're expected to help the poor. We're expected to help the needy, the less fortunate. Those people who have been ignored and and haven't been seen when we walk past. Or those people when you're in your car or walking down a busy street in a big city that you walk past and turn the other way as though somehow you don't see them. They know that you're ignoring them. Those people. People who we think they have nothing to offer us in return. The voices that have been muffled or silenced or ignored by all of us that have the power to do something for them about them and their circumstances. Jesus told us the poor would always be among us. But that wasn't an excuse for us to ignore them. The poor being among us doesn't mean that we don't have a responsibility to help. Because he says when. What it means is rather than an excuse to ignore them, it's a reminder to care for them. The poor will always be among you. As a Christian, you should be saying, where are they and how can I help? What is it that we can do? Go to Matthew 25, and here's really what Jesus is talking about, right? Here's what's at stake, folks. Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. My Bible has the heading over this section called the final judgment. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate one from another as a shepherd Shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right, that's the honored side, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And and when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Did you catch that? The righteous didn't even know what they did. They didn't even recognize that they had done something righteous. They did it, and it was just a part of them. It's who they were. It was just an expression of their character, of their heart, of their love. They just did what needed to be done out of kindness and decency, and they were reflecting the character and the heart of God, and their reward is great. See, when we're like that, when we do that, and this is the side of this passage that we want to be on, is the righteous, not the unrighteous. That's the goats, and they don't go and share the reward. We don't do it for recognition or for thanks or for reward. We do it because it's the right thing. We just do it to help. We do it because we know it pleases our Father who is in heaven, and that should be reward enough. So think about for a moment. Think about the stage that we're on in our country, these tumultuous days that our country is living through. However you feel about them, America is on a stage and the world is watching. The world is watching and they're getting a better understanding than they've ever gotten before about the heart and the character of our nation. 
We're making it clear, and they're seeing it. And people are watching the way they've never watched us before. We're spreading a message as a country of hatred and a message of division, a message that we as a nation are divided the way we've never been before. And in the midst of all that, we've lost sight of who the truly needy really are. And I can tell you this, that God is at work because God is always at work. But what our nation is going through is not a work of the Holy Spirit. Not now, not this part, not the division part. Because the Holy Spirit is a spirit of unity. Satan, the enemy of God, is the one who causes division. The enemy of God is the one that wants to split us and divide us and silence us. And as Christians, excuse me, as Christians, you need to be clear about that. The the things that are going on out there aren't just happening. That the, the, The enemy of God is hard at work. And the message that we're sending to the world is this is who we're letting win this battle. And in the midst of all that, we lose sight of who the truly needy are. And that matters, and this is why. Because in the midst of all of the division that's going on, all the chaos, all the tumultuousness, the poor are being overlooked. Innocents are still being aborted. Our veterans are being ignored. People of color are simply asking to be treated the same as white people. Orphans and widows, just like in the Bible days, are being left to their own means of survival. And the thing that just breaks my heart is that there are Christians and Christian churches that are an active part of the problem in every one of those circumstances. What's happened is the enemy of God has taken some of those issues and made them political and says, because you get a vote, you can be on the side of right or wrong by vote. But you know what? Some of those issues are just simply gospel issues. They're not political issues at all. And the enemy of God has changed Christians' mind, and we no longer follow the Bible and everything. We now follow politics, and we follow personal preferences, and the enemy continues to divide us. And here's what I know about needy. The needy aren't loud. The needy aren't going to be the ones that make noise. They're not demanding our attention. The truly needy that Jesus is talking about aren't marching or threatening or rioting or looting. The truly needy are just asking for help. They're simply waiting for somebody, hoping that someone somewhere will live a gospel-centered life that is lived for Jesus and live for others, not to make a political statement, not to take a selfie that makes a good picture on Instagram, not to do something and and, uh, post a humble brag on Facebook. No, the truly needy, they're just waiting for us to do what's right. Our Father in heaven, he is just waiting for us to do what's right. To do anything, no matter how small, to help those who are in need. And so I'm going to go back to Shakespeare, and and here's what I believe. I believe it's time for we as Christians to realize we're also on a stage. Every Christian church in America is on a stage. As Christians, we're on a stage. And you know what? It's It's time that we acknowledge that and we recognize it and we step off the stage and into the trenches. Because the trenches are ugly. The trenches are divided and the trenches are scary. But you know what? The Bible says that we are to be in the crowd, not of the crowd. We we don't get to separate ourselves away from it. We don't get to say, well, that's not me and I don't agree. I believe that it is time for us as Christians to stop trying to impress the world and start to influence the world for Jesus. To step off of the stage and to step into the trenches of the world around us and be willing to give of our time and our talents and our treasure to those whom God has given to us so that we might be a blessing. The Bible says we're blessed to be a blessing and the people of the world need Christians to be a blessing. 
And for every single one of us, because you all occupy a different stage in your life, the trenches around you are a little bit different. They're the same for all of us, but they're different. And you're going to have to figure that out. Please spend some time in prayer with God asking how. But it's time we step off the stage and into the trenches. And the reward that we have, the reward that we have for being righteous, we may never know it here on earth. We may never know a single life that we affect. But here's what I believe with all of my heart. When we get to heaven, and if we're blessed... To hear those words that, you know what, it's what we live for as disciples of Jesus. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done, my good and faithful servant. If we get to hear those words, then we will know the rewards of a righteous life. On earth, you may never see, you may never meet, you may never get to spend time with someone who your righteousness helped, who you getting off of the stage and into the trenches made a difference in their life. But you know what, when we get to heaven, we're going to get to meet them. Think about that. Maybe the smallest thing that doesn't mean anything to you is the thing that begins a change in someone's life that you get to go to heaven one day and they say, it all started with you when you did this. And you get to be one of those righteous and say, when did I do that? And it made an eternal difference in their life and you hardly noticed. It isn't hard to do the right thing. See, when we love God by loving and serving other people, by being generous, by being kind and and by simply being willing to share the life and eternity-changing good news of Jesus, the practical love of Jesus. Sometimes that means speaking, and sometimes it means doing. Then heaven, when we get there, will show us the difference that we made in this life. Your reward, the Bible says, will be the people that you meet because you cared, because you gave, because you loved. And that, for us as a Christian, should be more than enough reward. We may never get thanked on earth, but you know what? You're going to spend all of eternity around the people in whose lives you made a difference. So I suppose the real question is, do you understand the stage that you have, and do you understand the trenches that are around you? And who are you living your life for? What audience do you live your life for? Do you live to be seen and applauded by the people around you? Because if you do, your reward has already been done. Or do you live for an audience of one, your creator, our father who is in heaven? Because people, is, people are watching. But so is God. And people are waiting. And so is God. Let's pray. God, it's a tough word. It's a, it's a tough message. It's not an easy one to talk about. And it's not an easy one to hear. But you know, it's so simple. It, it, it's so foundational to who you call us to be as Christians, and that is to love the people of the world around us. We don't love their actions, or we don't necessarily love what they believe. We don't, we don't agree with them all the time, but God, we love them. We have no excuse not to love them. And you don't give us any reason not to serve them, even the most challenging and difficult people. So God, I pray that for us as a congregation, for the, for the wonderful people who call this church home, for the staff and the elders and the volunteers of this place, God, that you would show us how it is that we can step off of the stages that we're on and into the trenches of the world around us, that we can be in the crowd but not of the crowd, that we can minister to the people, that we can serve and meet the needs, not to be recognized but just simply to show your love to people who are dying without it. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this sermon. Thank you for this this word that he preached and that was recorded that we could read. And God, thank you that we can look forward to heaven where we will know that that's where our reward is waiting. And that's where we'll get to meet the people that are, are, are giving our time, our talents, and our willingness to serve. We'll get to meet the people that those things made a difference for. We may never know on earth, but we'll know in heaven. God, thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.
I invite you to stand and let's continue to worship. Giving to the Lord. 
going to continue to bring the words to that song to life through art there. So often when we think about giving, we think about what it means to us. We think about what it costs or what it's going to take or what we have to give up. And I love that song because that song just makes it so crystal clear that, you know what, our giving isn't about us at all. It's what we get to be a part of. So how are we doing over there, Bill? You got it? Way to go, man. So there is the words to the song, Come to Life in Art. Mr. Bill Gabbard, an artist, thank you for sharing your gifts with us this morning.